I guess with my dad, I I suspect he would worry less if I'd stayed in a studio position or actually hadn't switched from a law to a built environment degree in the first place. But mm-hmm. I've been lucky that he's only ever encouraged me in my chosen path, even when he hasn't understood it. So that's been a real parenting lesson for me now that I have children making career decisions. I've thought back to our conversations and how he was so supportive, even if he didn't agree. Do you love your business? You should, right? Well, sometimes we just don't. It's my hope that this, the My Daily Business Coach podcast, helps you regain a little of that lost love by providing tips and tactics, tools, insights, inspiration, all the good stuff to help you actually enjoy running your business. In addition to actionable tips and tactics that you'll be able to execute immediately, you'll also hear from creative small business owners around the world who've been able to sidestep the hustle and build a business that merges their passion with their purpose and provides a profit. I'm your host, Fiona Kalaki, founder of My Daily Business Coach. Let's get going. Hello, and welcome to episode 74 of the My Daily Business Coach podcast. I am recording this during the recent lockdown, again, stage four lockdown in Melbourne. It is nothing new for us in Melbourne, but it is hard and it's definitely brought up just the level of uncertainty that we are all living in. And I know that I have a lot of people listening in the UK and the US and thank you so much. I love hearing from you. And I know that you in particular are doing incredibly tough right now as are listeners in India who I've also heard from. Thank you so much. It means the world that I know a lot of people are stressed and anxious right now. And I hope that this little podcast helps in some way if you're a small business owner, alleviate stress or give you ideas that excite you and get you energized about your business, even though things may not be running as they normally would for you. In next week's coaching episode, I actually talk through tactics that have helped me deal with uncertainty and in various elements of my life, including the seven months of lockdown last year. But make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss that upcoming episode. As for today's episode, it is an interview and I conducted this just recently with an incredible small business owner in Queensland. Lee Jean Byer is the founder behind One Girl Studio and that is an interior design consultancy, a online store and a beautiful physical space in Brisbane's western suburbs. Lee Jean has been doing this work in the interior space for almost three decades now, and she is a degree-qualified built environment professional, fully accredited member of the Design Institute of Australia, and just a beautiful soul who is really, really interested and curious into why people make what they make, and then helping the smaller makers in Australia get seen, get exposure, and find an audience in Brisbane and you know all over Australia and the world. In addition to supporting her family and supporting, you know, herself through this business, she also donates a portion of the shop profits to Outback Futures and One Girl. And in our interview today, she talks about why she supports those particular causes, but also how supporting those has led her to do brand collaborations and really connect with her local community. 
Now, Legion Bayer is a very humble, <laughs> modest, small business owner. And I have to say that when I started this podcast, she was one of the very first names that I wrote down on my I want to interview list. And there's a few reasons for that. One, she has a very purpose-led business and I'm very attracted to that type of business. Two, she really supports and champions local makers and Australian-made artists. And I think that is something that a lot of places, you know, want to do. They don't always do it well. I think Lee Jean has done that incredibly well. And we talk about that in today's podcast. You know, how has she found the right labels to stock and how does she work with those makers? How does she reach out to them? And it's really interesting, especially if you own your own store or you're a maker and you're really interested in how to get stocked in stores like One Girl Studio. The other reason that I've wanted Lee Jean to be on this podcast is that years ago, she sent a gift to me. It was incredibly lovely. It's a, it's a cup that I use all the time. It's really, really nice. But at the time, and she's probably not aware of this, but at the time I was transitioning in my business and I was going from my parent company, which is Fiona Clackey Consulting, where a large portion of what I was doing was consulting to larger companies, going in, working with marketing teams, building marketing teams, looking at the strategy for a company where they were, you know, going into another territory, things like that. And I was moving much more into business coaching and working with smaller businesses and solo operators. And I was literally days, I think maybe, I don't know, 10 days, two weeks off launching mydailybusinesscoach.com and moving everything away from fionaclacky.com. And it was a big, I'd had, you know, the Instagram handle, but it was really kind of going out there and being like, this is what I do and this is who I am. And I also had the shop component. So it was the first time I was launching, you know, eBooks and online courses and all of that. And I think at any time when you're about to launch something big, when you are pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, you tend to have self-doubt. And at the time I was thinking, you know, is this website crap? Is, is the idea bad? I was, I was coming out with my first ebook. I was thinking, is anyone going to buy this? All of those sorts of things were creeping up. And it was the end of a, a big year and I was pregnant at the time as well. So, you know, that also helps with all the kind of ideas that you have in your head. Anyway, it was just before I was launching my, my website. I went to the post and I got this beautifully wrapped gift from Lee Jean. And in it, she'd written a note to me. And it was the first time that somebody I didn't know, I had no connection with, she wasn't a client, she hadn't come to a workshop or a speaking gig had sent me something with this note that was just beautiful and it was sort of saying thank you so much for all the content you put out there. It really helps small business owners like me. And I really felt like it was a sign from the universe. It was like, yep, you're on the right path, keep going. And she doesn't know that, but she really, really helped me dilute the self-doubt circle that I was in. And ever since I have just been, you know, so appreciative to her for that small moment. And I guess that's a reminder that we can all go about our business and we can find things useful. We can, you know, really love a particular cafe service or something else, but we don't say it. We don't say to our barista, you know what? I love the way you do your coffee. Thank you so much. Or to the random person that's helped you in the supermarket. Thank you so much or to somebody that you get emails from. Thank you so much. So I just want to say another massive thank you to Lee Jean for that moment, but for all of her support ever since. And 
I hope that after you listen to today's podcast episode, you reach out to Lee Jean Byer. And if you're in Queensland, definitely go and hit up One Girl Studio and see her physical space. Of course, you can shop online at onegirlstudio.com.au. But yeah, I absolutely loved talking to Lee Jean. She talks about her background, how her parents' work ethic has influenced her own. She also talks about the journey that she's been on with her partner and how they've lived in, you know, numerous locations around Australia. And I just absolutely loved hearing how she then built her own business whilst also raising a family. And if you are a parent and you are going through things right now, like lockdown, and you're sort of making the juggle work, I feel like this will be quite inspiring to you as well. So here it is, my interview with the incredible interior designer and founder of One Girl Studio, Lee Jean Byer. All right, I am so thrilled to have this incredible (laughs) woman coming onto the podcast. Hello, Lee Jean Byer. Hello. (laughs) Hi, Fiona. Welcome, welcome. You were on my list from day one when I had this podcast Um. and I'm really excited to be talking to you. So, How are you right now? We're talking at the start of 2021 and obviously it's been a big 12 months, 14 months. How are things going for you in your world? Well, I think that if there was such a thing as a COVID lottery, living and working in Brisbane would make us the absolute winners. But 2020 was still pretty exhausting, even for us up here. I had a son finishing school in year 12. And coupled with having to change the way we work with such immediacy and uncertainty, just made for huge to-do lists and a heavy emotional load. And while there was no directive, we actually closed the bricks and mortar shop and opted to go online only for six weeks. It just felt like the right thing to do for us at the time. And it did force us to improve and develop our online store which is still a work in progress, but this has been a positive legacy from 2020. Wow. And how's your son? Did he get through school? Yes, he's gotten through, waiting for uni to start. So I think it's the longest holiday, longest legitimate holiday you get in your life. The idleness is killing me. He's living his best life, but it's (laughs) hard to watch someone do so much of nothing when you've got so much on. Yes. Oh my gosh. (laughs) My kids, both of them haven't slept, haven't been great sleepers. And my dad used to always say, just you wait, they'll get to teenagehood and you can bang it. It's so true. It's so true. I was exactly the same. Mine never slept and now they do nothing else. (laughs) Well, congratulations to you and how exciting. Gosh, that's a massive feat. I really felt for year 12 students last year. It's enough of a stress. Yeah, it was a bit rubbish. Yeah, gosh. I mean, well done to you, like shutting down. So people have heard a little bit about One Girl Studio in the intro that I just did right now and, you know, how much I think you're amazing. But yeah, can you tell us a little bit about what it is and how you describe your business and kind of how it all began? Well, One Girl Studio has two faces. We're an interior design consultancy, but I think we're mostly known as a little shop. So we have a bricks and mortar store in Graceful, which is in Brisbane's inner west, and we also have an online presence. I'd like to think we're best known for our beautiful and functional artisan-made and Australian-made wares. Mm -hmm. 
did one come first? Yeah, so I've worked as an interior designer for about 25 years. Yeah. And, yeah, it does seem crackers leaving a pathway that you've invested so much in. Mm -hmm. But like with any life change, there were a number of factors compelling enough to make the leap at the time. Mm -hmm. One was that when we returned home to Brisbane after living in Adelaide, it became apparent Mm -hmm. how deficient our city was in good independent retail options. Mm -hmm. So there was very little handmade product in local stores and certainly none nearby to where we were living. And we had moved many times for my husband's work. I think we've had about 15 addresses. Wow. So in each new place, I'd found community in workshops and classes and also in just frequenting businesses that I loved. And I guess in some way was inspired to recreate that culture in the area in which we lived that also felt very underserved. Mm. And mostly and hilariously, I thought shopkeeping might make for an easier juggle with motherhood than working as an interior designer, which is hugely inaccurate, of course. And here I am trying to do both. Oh, gosh, and good on you because I hear you and I have a few clients who have children and a store like you and it's, yeah, it's definitely not easier. You mentioned that you've moved quite a few times and you've lived in Brisbane and Alice Springs and Darwin and Adelaide. Was that something you were used to? Like, did you have an upbringing like that? Not at all. Not at all. I lived in the same house until I left to go to university. But I married young and I married a geologist. So we followed the rocks, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) What a beautiful way. And so what was your upbringing? Like, did you have small business owner parents or were they super into, like, interior design? Is that what led you into that sector or do you have really creative siblings or I guess what was that upbringing like and how did it impact you now? Well on paper I'm perhaps the most unlikely person to be doing what I am. I grew up in Ipswich which is a satellite city to Brisbane. It feels like a really big confession to say that. Like all places it has its redeeming qualities but it is generally speaking a small town with low socio-economic demographics and the issues that usually accompany that Mm -hmm. and to top it all off we lived in the dodgy part so it wasn't very design rich at all and my father was a migrant and still supporting his family in Malaysia so we lived very humbly Mm -hmm. and I had no real exposure to the design or architecture worlds until much later in my high school years and my dad and brother are not creative really in a traditional sense but My mum and her mum, my granny who lived with us, were quite amazing amateur artists and also made everything. The making was really born of necessity. So it was more about budget than craft. But I know now that this is where the magic usually lives. Mm -hmm. At the same time, their handmade goods were a constant source of embarrassment for me. I just longed for store-bought items like everybody else. But now, of course, I wish so much that I could tap into their making genius. I hear so much on that level. My mum made yeah. And I also grew up in an area that was had a low socioeconomic at the time, and it's definitely yeah, yeah. a lot more improved. But, yeah, I definitely remember I used to travel an hour and a half to my school. Wow. Yeah, each, each way. So it was three hours. And the train ride home 
like you'd literally see it go down. You'd see all the professionals get on and all the people with their like nice, you know, private school bags and blah, blah. And then you'd see it go down and go down and go down and go down. And then I'd get off the station. (laughs) But also my mum made everything. She made all our clothes for a while. Incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, we weren't like dirt poor or anything. But yeah, I remember like my year 12 formal or my year 11 one, it just wasn't even a concept that we were going to go to a store and like buy a nice dress. It was, yeah, sure. Go to the big market, you can choose some fabric and, you know, let's go to Lingcraft and get like a pattern and we'll make you a dress. And I wish, like you, I wish that I had taken on board, like it, my mum could sew pretty much anything and I wish I had that. Gene. I know. But yes, sorry, I interrupted you about it. No, no, it it was exactly the same for me and we were the same. My dad had a really good job. It was just all the other expectations on him culturally, I think, that, you know, and they came from quite a frugal background, both of them, so that just never went away and it did change a little bit. My mum actually was a small business owner from when I was about 10 to until she died when I was 13, she had a little coffee shop and it was really well loved and really successful. So while I was quite naive about many aspects of business when I started One Girl Studio, I did have some concept of the relentless nature of business ownership just from watching her run that little shop. Wow. Oh my goodness. What an interesting background and I'm really sorry that you lost your mum at such an early age. Oh, thank you. Really, really hard. And it comes across already in just talking to you, but one of the other things that I like that I've seen just through your, you know, social media and other things is the really genuine approach that you have to everything you sell. Like it seems like you really spend time, you know, finding the right labels to stock. And part of your process is that, you know, everything you stock has had to be made without having hurt anyone in the process. So I always am interested in, you know, I gravitate towards these types of brands myself, but how did you balance that with also needing to hit certain margins in the business to work? And I think, you know, both of you and I have come from hardworking backgrounds where it's not like, Mm. well, we can just, you know, we can just have fun and not necessarily work about making money. How did you kind of balance that? And I guess what advice would you give to others who also want to support smaller makers and have sustainable and ethical products but at the end of the day we also need to make money. Yes well firstly I'm really so happy that the huge amount of time we spend finding and curating our stock is even a little bit evident. We're physically a teensy shop so we do need to be careful in what we give room over to so that forces us to curate quite tightly Much of what we buy is directly from the maker and each seems to have their own processes, lead times, margins. So navigating new terms and nurturing these relationships is also so time-consuming. But it's also become one of the most rewarding aspects of the business. Mm. And you're right, we did learn quite quickly that we would never be commercially viable if we only stopped Australian handmade wares as The market's just too small in Brisbane at the moment Mm -hmm. and good margins are almost impossible to achieve. So now we have a combination of ethically produced goods from factories and overseas handmakers in the mix. And for anyone else considering stocking small batch makers, and I really hope you do because the Australian marketplace deserves to be far more interesting, I think, 
Mm. We found consignment arrangements can be useful for both parties. So we've just found that consignment minimises risk for both parties and also helps to keep stock dynamic. So, for example, we find that what might not sell with us might fly with another stockist on the other side of town or in another city, and this enables the maker to control movement of stock and also gives them freedom to explore new work. Mm -hmm. And so can you just explain, if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, they're making earrings, say, and they're like, they haven't actually approached stockers yet. What is consignment? How do you explain what consignment is versus, you know, just... Well, the way that we've worked consignment is that the maker often brings to us their selection of work that they'd like to sell. And we put it in store at an agreed price and at an agreed margin, and the maker gets paid only if that piece sells. Mm -hmm. So for us, we pay the maker every month for work sold the previous month. And we have found too, because everybody has different costs associated with their work, the margins can vary and some makers need payment more regularly than a month. We're quite loose in the way we work it at the moment, but it's essentially that stock gets bought when it's sold, I suppose. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for doing that. My second business, after I used to make earrings and sell them at a market, <laughs> I used to sew sweaters. In oh, my, wow. Yeah, in my like little place in Carlton. And I used to have my sewing machine on the floor and it was on consignment. So yes, I learned oh, great. consignment means. <laughs> so yeah, and I think it's a great way for people to be able to work with stockers. But I'd love to talk to you about how do you even approach people to stock their products? Like when you got back to Brisbane and you were saying that there wasn't really anywhere, at least near where you were, that had what you mm. buy, did you just know a whole lot of makers because of the 25 years in interior consultancy and design or did you go out and find them and, and how did you start getting them the labels on board? Well, my retail experience before the shop was limited to part-time high school work so I didn't have any reference as to what made for a standard procurement process. I'd been a good customer of many makers before stocking them, but really didn't have a relationship with many outside of that. So quite simply, all of our purchasing usually starts with an email to a maker or supplier that we admire. And in truth, this is usually preceded with a fair bit of digital stalking to make sure we're a likely fit. Ah, yes. I love the digital stalking. (laughs) And so I think that's, it's really important, I think, for people to hear that because sometimes people can think, oh, you know, it's this giant elaborate process and it's really nice that you're like, it's just an email. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. And so talking of digitally stalking people, I (laughs) I follow you over on Instagram and you're just at One Girl Studio for anyone who wants to connect. And of course, we'll link to all of this in the show notes as well. But something that you've shared on there are kind of memories and posts about your family, both the family that you grew up in and the one that you've made. And do you have two sons or one son? I do, two sons. Oh, same as me. So you mentioned in one of the posts that you have had such support following your dreams. And I would love to, but it also sounds that you're very supportive (laughs) with your like following the rocks and all of that. But what advice would you give to say someone who's listening to your story thinking, oh, I'd love to do something similar, but 
I'm raising children or I hope to have children in the future or, you know, gosh, you can't do both. What sort of things would you say? Well, thank you so much for following me and for actually reading the writing. I often wonder if that happens. The whole truth, I guess, is that my husband and two boys rarely spend time actually working in the business, but I have feel supported by them in the way they understand or at least aren't overtly resentful of the neglect that they sometimes endure because of my work and the slack that they often have to pick up. And I guess with my dad, I I suspect he would worry less if I'd stayed in a studio position or actually hadn't switched from a law to a built environment degree in the first place. But Mm -hmm. I've been lucky that he's only ever encouraged me in my chosen path, even when he hasn't understood it. So that's been a real parenting lesson for me now that I have children making career decisions. I've thought back to our conversations and how he was so supportive, even if he didn't agree. Mm. So for me personally, I don't think I could have juggled this life of a shop and consultancy if my children were much younger. When my boys were little, my husband was often working away and we also lived away from family and established support networks. Mm. So I was really central to everyone's world working. These days, parenting looks quite different. And while it can still be intense, there are far less demands on my time and to be home supervising. Mm-hmm. So for anyone else in that very time-intense parenting phase, I wonder if a partnership or having full-time staff could mm-hmm. would work or take some of the pressure, but I'm not sure, to be honest. I can tell you that it goes far quicker than you expect it to. Like my children stopped needing me before I was ready yeah. for them to do that. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm super aware that motherhood is loaded with complexity and circumstances are different for everyone. Yeah, they are. It's interesting that you say that about they stopped needing you before you're ready. One of my friends, she's got two teenagers and she was asking me about my kids and my kids are roughly, you know, at least 10 years younger than hers. And I said, what advice would you give to someone, like if you could go back, and she said, your worries now are so different. She's like, all I wanted was them to be independent and me to have my time. And then as soon as they were, you're like, no, 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 please, please need me. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. And so, you know, well done for getting through that, <laughs> raising them. I think that's the parenting goal, but it doesn't always feel great. No, I mean, my dad, he used to always have this thing. And actually, when we wrote his obituary, this is the line that we started with. And he used to always say, be a parent first, then a friend. And he used to say, sometimes it's going to be really hard, but you have to always be a parent first. And if you can, your job is to get good adults into the world. And if you can do that, you know, you've succeeded no matter what they do. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so I think, yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And I also like that you're really honest and you're not saying, oh, it's totally doable. Like, you can have- <laughs> I mean, I do think things are doable, but I think at the moment, who one of my clients has a young child and is running a, a shop and she actually just hired somebody to work on a day and she's like, oh, my God, just having that day back is incredible. A day to herself and her kid has childcare for half of that day and, yeah, she's like, it's just opened up a whole world of possibilities. So the other thing that you have achieved, which is amazing, is you've been in retail for some time now and retail is, you know, a really hard business. 
What do you think has helped you survive and to kind of thrive in that space? Yes, we turned five last year, but have we've also found that in the spirit of oversharing, we've found independent retail to be a very hard gig financially. And so it has been a lifeline having friends in business who can relate to the struggle. And I know this is something you've talked about a lot, and it's so true that it's been crucial for me to be able to share the wins and losses safely or to collaborate on solutions with people who understand life and business firsthand. So that's been important. Also essential for our survival has been the offering of interior design services. So just having that diversified income was essential, especially at the start. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that while you can never be everything to everybody, We do offer quite a unique collection of products. So we find that when our true customer discovers us, we see them again. Yes, I love that last. I mean, I love all of that. And I I completely agree with cultivating your crew and having people around Mm. who just get it, totally get it. But I also think that last part, like I think there's a statistic, it's six to seven times harder to find a new customer than to retain somebody who's already bought from you or worked with you. And I think not enough people nurture that part. So, you know, going back to people that have bought from you, keeping that kind of post-purchase activity alive. Because yeah, like you said, if people find you and they think it's a great place, they're going to come back every time they need a gift or every time they need a birthday present or something for themselves. So yeah, really, really important. So what do you think has helped you most with like building the actual business skills. So whether in the interior consultancy or the the actual shop, have you had mentors? Have you done courses or had books that have helped you? With interior design, I worked for big studios in the early part of my working life. And that informed a lot of my processes that I've carried through to now, even though the scale of my business is tiny compared to theirs. But that was really helpful. And I'm not sure if it's appropriate to confess on a business coaching podcast that I don't actually feel very skillful in business just yet. Thank you also for that word. And I promise it's not a construed answer, but in terms of input, I have relied on your weekly email, which has actually guided many of our processes and decisions. So as I was saying to you earlier, I'm still incredulous that you are so generous with all that advice and wisdom. It's truly the best freebie that's out there. Oh, thank you so much. It really is. That really makes all the effort worth it to hear that it's helping people. So thank you. For sure. So, so many amazing things there. And likewise, I guess, has there been any parts of the business that you've had to upskill on or hire people, you know, finance or legal or, and again, I guess, any tips for people listening to this? who might be interested in knowing, well, how did you get to where you are? Yeah. So soon after starting the shop and realising the deep water I was in, I did take myself off to TAFE and I did a certificate in small business. And mostly I didn't feel like I had a budget to outsource much. So I did try to do everything myself, which in hindsight ended up being a false economy, really, and a sure path to exhaustion. So I wish I had invested in paying people for their expertise right from the start. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I completely agree. And sometimes it's like it's that whole kind of cliche, but you've got to spend money to make money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been in in that sense before where I've been like, oh, my gosh, you know, I could just do it myself. And then 
like right now, even with the editing of this podcast, like I, I recommend Scott all the time to people. And some people have said, well, you could just learn how to edit it yourself. It's, you know, you're, it's not that hard. And I was like, no. no. <laughs> he can edit stuff and he is an expert and he knows exactly what he's doing and it will take him however long it takes him versus me spending the entire Saturday trying to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, totally happy to pay for that stuff. What's one thing, and I know you've been in the interiors game for many, many years, almost three decades, but what's one thing you've done differently if you're starting out now, either in that space or in in the shop? As you can imagine, there's so many lessons learned in three decades. Makes me feel so old. But I think on the top of the list, it would be to work as hard building the online shop as the bricks and mortar. I think I underestimated what that could be for us. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm especially in a COVID year. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's a big one that a lot of people learnt last year. Chris Crouch from Happy Valley, which is a store in Melbourne, he was on the podcast a while ago and he said, I wish I had sort of, you know, because he's like, we sort of did that by necessity. They had their online shop, but he's like, I really dove into how to use it and how to analyse its performance last year. And Yeah, if anyone can take anything, do that. (laughs) Look at your online. Yes, definitely. It's only going to get more important as the years go on. And on that online, do you have particular, you know, tech tools or platforms or things you couldn't live without when it comes to your business? Instagram. Like you and many of your guests, I've got a love-hate relationship with Instagram. But while it's free and it's still our most powerful marketing and communication platform, it's a, it's a daily thing that we use. Other freebies we rely on MailChimp. And I love notes. I have endless lists in notes. Oh, I love notes too. I use it today. Yeah. And we do pay for a zero subscription, which is quite amazing for bookkeeping without too much strife and has really good spreadsheets so you can see where you're at at any time. Yeah, I use Zero as well. I sometimes feel like this podcast should be sponsored by Zero. It's <laughs> it's not, but maybe it should. Should I, there you go. If anyone's listening from Zero, come and say hi. So many people use Zero. I would say majority of like ninety percent of the people I work with use Zero, and I just think it's user friendly. It's such a fantastic tool for business, and so I can assume some things that you might feel proud of with your journey. And I do tend to feel like you're somebody who's quite humble and modest, but I would love it if you could, you know, really think about like, what is the thing that you're most proud of from the journey owning and running these small businesses? I'm actually really proud of the community and the human connections that have been built through the shop, especially through our 2020 experience. It was clear that we've become more than just a place to purchase things. And we've landed amongst a group of really big-hearted, outward-looking people. So I'll be forever grateful for the enlargement that this little business has brought about for me, both professionally and personally. Oh, I love that. And I love the idea of community. I feel like along with money and, you know, going online, it was a really big driver of people's success last year or just survival last year. You do a lot in your business to help others. so. I'd love if you, if you don't mind, just talking through like what you've done to help, you know, who, who else the business is helping. Obviously, you've got your family and, and the makers, but I know you do some other support work and if it's not too embarrassing for you. or Thanks for the opportunity to give our side project a little plug. 
Because we believe that good business supports change, we do support or donate to a couple of charities, but mostly to Outback Futures. So Outback Futures are an organisation who provide allied health services to rural families. And this is a really simplified explanation of their work. So I hope your listeners might take the time to look them up or find out more about the work they do. So we would team up with our shop friends and favourite cafe, Three Girls Skipping, and do dinners and other events. But in a COVID year, it was really tricky to fundraise in the way we had known how previously. So we decided to design and sell custom linen tea towels and all the proceeds of these sales go to Outback Futures. So they're also hand-printed by Aquador Designs, who's a local maker that we stock just around the corner from the shop. It's a lovely little community project And our second tea towel in the collection is underway, so it'll be around to be purchased soon. Thank you for letting me talk about that. No, not at all. And I I think the more we can talk, like actually see what different people are doing, I think what's really nice is that, one, you've teamed up with other people, like three girls skipping the cafe and, you know, these makers. But I also think that sometimes people feel like, oh, my business isn't big enough to make, you know, a real difference Um. I have to go big or I have to, you know, build a school somewhere. And I think it's really nice to actually just be like, well, what can I do with what I have? We're aware that the money that we've raised is a small drop in what they need for their work, but it's it's still a drop. Yeah, it is. And of course, we'll link to Outback Futures in the show notes. Do you have advice for anyone that's listening who might want to do something like this? I mean, how did you come up with, okay, we're going to support Outback Futures? Is it you had friends in rural areas or? I think when you look at the needs in the world, it can be quite overwhelming. And I remembered a book I read by Peter Singer called The Life You Can Save. And he talked about supporting an organisation that was close to home and one that was far away. And so I guess we've looked at that model from the start. So Outback Futures is our close-to-home charity and the founder of that charity is a friend. And we watched that family's personal and professional sacrifice as they started that charity up and it was incredibly inspiring and, yeah, it was great just to be a part of that somehow. Our faraway charity is One Girl for obvious reasons. We share a name and... They help fund education for girls in the third world. Wow. I love that idea of one local and one far away because I feel like sometimes we can just almost get caught up in the far away and not. Yes, yeah. We've got a whole lot of things with our, you know, closer to home that need attention as well. Even just at the moment, I just think, my God, what are all the people that are homeless doing? I know. Yeah, like my husband and I worked in a homeless shelter, or volunteered in a homeless shelter for a few years in London. And I mean, I'd volunteered, my parents were very much into volunteering, but it really showed me in London, like, it could be anyone. Anyone could be out. Yes. Like, you don't have a community around you. If you have, you know, your marriage breaks down and then your extended family breaks down and you lose your job and you get one big bill that you didn't expect, you could be out. Like, it's not that far for a lot of us. No. Someone has written about the number of steps that it actually takes. And it's not very many for most people to end up in that situation. 
It's really not. And I feel like, you know, even the reason I was saying that is just you might be walking past people that are homeless and it doesn't necessarily, it's always cash. You know, sometimes it's, I've bought, you know, and this isn't to make myself feel good, but, you know, like you buy socks for people if it's winter or go and buy them some shoes yeah. or, or talk to them, get a coffee and actually treat them as human beings, like hear their story. So I think sometimes people think they need all this cash to make a difference and it, and it can be a lot smaller than that. I agree. That's amazing. And so I guess what's next for you and where can people like connect with you if they've heard this today and I hope that they, you know, take a minute to reach out to you and, and let you know what they've taken away from it. But what's next for you and I guess where's the best place to connect? Is it Instagram? Yes, probably best via Instagram or email. And if you can be patient with me for a response, that would be lovely. I would love to hear from people. And I guess for One Girl Studio, quite simply, I just hope it will continue to grow and that as a business we would inch closer to the thrive part of the survival scale. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. I am literally sipping my tea from the cup (laughs) so kindly all those years ago and yeah I think what you're doing is amazing and you're so genuine and authentic and I really hope that a lot of people listening will get in touch and let you know what what they took away from the story. Thanks Fiona thanks so much for having me it's been such an honor. Oh you're so welcome bye. Bye. Oh, how lovely is Lee Jean. I absolutely loved chatting to her and I know that it would have been quite useful for so many small business owners listening, whether you're in retail, whether you're in the interior design space, whether you're a maker or a wannabe maker, maybe you're working in corporate right now, but your dream is to be a maker. She just gave so many insights and tips as to how her business has been built and how it continues. So if you want to connect with Lee Jean, make sure you go and follow her over on Instagram. One Girl Studio is the handle. You can also find out more about the business at onegirlstudio.com.au. I would also love to know what you took from this. So don't be a stranger. I'm just at my daily business coach on Instagram. Two things for me that really came out were One, I love the transparency that Lee Jean had around motherhood and her shop. And she said, I wouldn't have been able to do it with young children. And I've been able to build it into what it is because my family lifestyle has changed as well. And I feel like we don't often hear that. And it's much like the Oprah quote that I said, which is, you can have it all, just not all at once. And I definitely think you can have it all. You know, I have young children. I have, I work, you know, in my business three days a week, but there are other things that I would love to do that right now in this season of life that I'm in, I am happy to put on hold until I have more time or I'm, I'm happy to have different priorities. And I think sometimes we can get fooled into thinking that, you know, we have to be 100% the best parent, the best business owner, the best this, the best friend, the best daughter, the best, you know, sister. And sometimes we have to come back and think, what are my priorities? What are my values? How can I most live by those? What am I trying to achieve with my business and my life? And then how can those things integrate? I'm not a huge one for work-life balance. I do believe in more like work-life integration, that they have to integrate into one another as opposed to it always being balanced. So I loved how, you know, honest and open she was about that. The second thing that I loved is that she really gave us insight into, you know, how does she work with makers? And I absolutely loved 
And again, you don't really hear so much about this, that she's such a human person that she was really, I know that sounds a bit silly, but she's, she was really caring about those makers and really investing in building relationships with the labels that she stocks in her business. It's not like, oh, that's just nameless, faceless brand. It's I actually know the person who made that and I'm able to tell you about that. And I think that's the magic of small business, things you don't get in a department store. You know, if you go into a department store, you talk to the average person in there and you ask for a particular brand, half the time they may not even know what you're talking about. If you go into a small business and you pick up something that's handmade and you ask the the person in the shop about it, chances are they can tell you the whole story. And that's what we love. We engage with each other through storytelling. And also it's good for business. It converts people. It it builds up a likability factor. So I loved the way that she talked about the brands that she has in her shop, One Girl Studio. So again, if you want to connect with Lee Jean, you can do that over on Instagram, One Girl Studio or through the website, onegirlstudio.com.au. And of course, we'll link to that in the show notes. You can find a full transcript plus every link that I've just said in the show notes, which are over at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash podcast forward slash 74. If you have enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could just hit the stars or even provide a written review if you feel so inclined. You can find out exactly how to do that over at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash review. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you again, Lee Jean, and I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the My Daily Business Coach podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can do that at mydailybusinesscoach.com or hit me up on Instagram at mydailybusinesscoach.com.